As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman and I'm here to tell you what The Athletic has planned across its podcast network during the Euros. My pod with David Ornstein will become the Athletics England show throughout the tournament to bring you all the latest news and insight from inside the England camp every single day. Then we'll also have nightly editions of the Totally Football show, taking a look at all the big talking points from the competition and looking ahead to the next day's fixtures. Now, if you're feeling nostalgic for tournaments past, we've produced an eight-part documentary series that tells some fascinating stories from both on and off the pitch from the last eight euros elsewhere michael cox's zonal marking pod will offer an in-depth tactical breakdown of all the biggest games while adam hurry's football cliche show will take a look at the tournament's alternative storylines so as this never ending domestic season finally draws to a close we'll have plenty of euro 2020 coverage for you to enjoy as the tournament gets underway in just a couple of weeks time Totally Football Show European Edition with all your final day questions answered. Would it be Lille or PSG winning in France? Could Atleti hang on in La Liga? And what did you make of the Simeones going all Von Trapp? Plus, Juve get real, Spain get unreal, and Robert Levin record breaker ski. Am I doing this right? Gets that 41st goal. It's all coming up in the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. Tuesday the 25th of May and it's the final Euro edition of this season. Hello listener, Euros are a little bit over two weeks away but of course the real European title already decided. Zitti e buoni. Italy defeating arch rivals Switzerland in the final of Eurovision. Woof. Here in matching leather dungarees, James Horncastle. Hello guys. Raphael Honigstein. Hello James. And Alvaro Romeo. Hello. No Julian Laurence, who's unable to be with us on today's show because uh, PSG missed the title. Sorry, no, because he's got an urgent meeting somewhere else. He's off at Man City's pre-Champions League 
Preste, but we'll get hold of him on the phone. Crikey. Hey, James, you really enjoyed Eurovision final. I think Julian's not here ultimately because not only did PSG fail to win the league, but France were in the lead for so long in Eurovision. And voila, Italy came came right at the end and, and beat them. So I think Jules has had a crushing weekend. I'm sure he'll pick himself up ahead of the European Championships um, now that Karim Benzema is in the squad. But uh, yeah, excellent, excellent weekend. Yeah, I'd be real shocked to see him him back in the in the lineup after five years. Of course, we've seen him scoring from all angles this year. Which same can be said of Matteo Valbuena, of course, after the the tape looked, uh, you know. But um, anyway, we'll ask Jules about that. Later on, later on. Let's get some moments of the weekend with Paddy Power. Uh, Rafa, why don't you start us off? It's an easy one, James. It's Lewandowski, 41, in the last minute of the game. The last kick of the game, his goal to break Gerd Müller's nearly 50-year-old record. Crikey. And it'll be gone next year because Haaland will break it, probably. Mm, Maybe. Maybe so. All right. Alvaro, how about for you on a dramatic final day in La Liga? Yeah, the moment of the week for me is in that the Jose Zorrilla, Atletico de Madrid, after 93 minutes of proper suffering, they won the title, La Liga title, their first title since 2014, uh, which was like a, a massive, a massive thing for Atletico. And there was uh, obviously like a really, really emotional celebrations between Atletico supporters, Atletico players, and also Simeone, even with his daughters on television. Mm, his daughter's singing on television. Controversial moments. We'll come on to that uh, shortly. But James, your moment of the weekend. It's got to be the locker room in Bergamo where the uh, Milan players recreated uh, that, that Champions League anthem as it comes on um, because they're back in the Champions League for the first time in eight years after their win against Atalanta and Juventus, even though they left Cristiano Ronaldo out of the team and didn't even bring him on against mm. Bologna. They also snuck back into the top four and will be in the Champions League next year at Napoli's expense. What a bottle job by Napoli. Very nice. Uh, Jules, by the way, uh, obviously not with us at this point, but he did want me to mention that his moment of the weekend was Lille winning the title and PSG (laughs) missing out. Gracious of him. (laughs) Unusual. Was it not um, more specifically Neymar's penalty? (laughs) Neymar's penalty. Oh, my word. I've forgotten that. Rafa, tell us about Neymar's penalty. Well, uh, Neymar did one of those sort of chicken steps. um, But it was the clever keeper, no, who psyched him out, got in his head. By just doing nothing. Well, he stood to one side. He left him about two-thirds of the goal open. He deliberately stood asymmetrically positioned instead of bang down the middle as if inviting him to take aim at that side and that completely threw Neymar's calculations and he he, 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 I mean if you see the shot from behind the keeper is clearly messing with his head much like a barber would yeah anyway uh, it was a hilarious miss (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> All right, then. Well, much more of that kind of thing to come. First off, though, let's get our roundups underway with La Liga. The Totally Football Show European Edition's Moment of the Weekend. Brought to you by Paddy Power. Defences may be looking shaky at the moment, but Paddy's offers are rock solid. If one leg of your four plus fold acker lets you down, get a free bet. Max free bet £10, minimum odds 1 to 5 per leg. Online exclusive, no shop bets. T's and C's apply. 18 plus, begumbleaware.org. Su cronómetro, la liga en una jugada, se va a acabar, se va a acabar, final, 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 el Atlético de Madrid, el equipo que nunca deja de creer, acaba de 
La Liga Alvaro situation on the final day. Two Madrid teams are jostling for the title. Atleti were at Valladolid. Real Madrid were taking on Villarreal. And drama as Atleti promptly went behind. But then again, so did Real almost immediately. Yes, of course. The good thing for Atletico de Madrid is that they never lost the title, not even provisionally, because, um, you know, as you said, um, Oscar Plano scored for Valladolid, and Valladolid was winning 1-0 at that stage after 18 minutes, but uh, Jeremy Pino scored for Villarreal two minutes later in the 20th minute of the Real Madrid against Villarreal game, so... That pressure that could have piled up over Atletico de Madrid, uh, it wasn't double up by Real Madrid winning. Um, it was uh, Atletico needed to better Real Madrid's scoreline or just to match it. And that is exactly what they did at the end uh, by beating Valladolid 2-1 and by uh, making sure that they sent Valladolid also to the second division because Valladolid needed mm. to win to stay up in the in La Liga, which made Atletico's job slightly easier, uh, you think about it now, because when Valladolid scored the first goal, you know, they didn't defend, 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 because they knew that maybe a second goal would help them, and then when Atletico scored the equalizer, Valladolid had to attack again. So, uh, at the end, the, a mistake of Valladolid in the defense gave Luis Suarez the ball, and uh, the Uruguayan scored the second goal of the game, uh, giving Atletico de Madrid the advantage. And from the 67th minute on, Atletico de Madrid managed to hold that 2-1 lead at Valladolid and gave Atletico, as I said before, their first La Liga title since 2014. And uh, thinking about it now, I think that uh, two titles, two league titles under Simeone does more justice than only one under Simeone, as they had until last Saturday. Because mm. I think that this has been a really good team this has been uh, an Atletico team that has uh, competed against uh, Barcelona's MSN with Messi, Suarez and Neymar. Has competed against uh, the, the, how do they call it? the BBC with Benzema, Bale and Cristiano Ronaldo, which is not easy. I think that in another context they would have gone more leagues. And this time they won it because they took advantage of the fact that, Atletico, uh, that uh, Real Madrid and Barcelona are going through some existential problems, trying to rebuild themselves. Uh, they haven't managed to replicate the levels of, uh, you know, uh, a couple of years ago, three years ago. And Atletico took advantage of that, uh, I would say that with an excellent, uh, exorbitant uh, first round of the season, uh, first half, they got uh, 50 points uh, after 19 games. And then, um, sometimes with ease, sometimes with difficulty, they managed to keep that advantage to you know, administrate that uh, good advantage they have and they won the, the title with 86 points. So full credit to them. Absolutely. And some lovely post-game scenes. Uh, Luis Suarez sobbing there uh, on the turf. Uh, Kieran Trippier getting chased with an electric razor. Simeone getting the bumps and then getting dropped by his uh, players. And then, as you mentioned earlier, Alvaro, a lovely, uh, lovely vignette when he's interviewed by Spanish television and with his two daughters... You yeah. then proceed to sing an Atleti song. Atleti, Atleti, Atleti con el marido. Oh, wow. Jugando, ganando, peleas con el mejor. A lot of people calling this heartwarming. I, I must admit, I object to this kind of thing. Uh, there's, a, there's somebody there trying to interview him. He turns up with daughters. and The interviewer has to hold one of the daughters who then sings very cutely the Atleti song. I'm trying to do my job here. Do you know when people bring their offspring into, like, bring your offspring? Do you know when you're in an office trying to get some work done and they bring yeah. their kids in and everyone has to go, oh, yeah, yeah, and what do you do, etc. Nobody can get anything done. Do you know? Yeah. It, it's like, you know, in the Truman Show, when Truman right. is about to find out that uh, maybe his life is a farce. 
and his best, best friend arrives with some beers. Mm-hmm. Just to change the subject, change the conversation. So, yeah, maybe it could be a little bit like that. I don't know. But uh, you know what I found more astonishing from that interview? The fact that Simeone's daughters, they are totally indoctrinated. They are brainwashed because before they start singing, Simeone asks them, what are we? And both of them say the pretty much uh, together, we're a team. We're, somos un equipo. So I think Simeone uh, is as intense as home, as he is on the pitch. Uh, it was fascinating, really. And then they, they sang the, the anthem of Atletico de Madrid together, the two daughters. I wonder if they celebrate goals like him, you know, where he turns to the crowd and <laughs> points to where they came from. Yeah. No, so, <laughs> but that was my other issue uh, with the whole thing was that it was so spectacularly off brand for the man in, in black that uh, he was he was being really cute and he gives him a lovely kiss afterwards. And it was really, really nice. Obviously, I just kind of. Yeah. That scene with Trippier, by the way, because he was going to have his head shaved by by his teammates if they won La Liga. But I think he managed to buy an extra day so that he, he's got some photo shoot or something. How big a part has Kieran Trippier been of uh, Atletico's success? A big one, a very big one. In fact, when uh, he got this 10-game uh, uh, ban, Atletico de Madrid really missed him. I believe that uh, no one in the squad could offer what he can offer on the right-hand side because he is not only decent or competent defensively, especially since he joined Atletico, uh, but also he he's very good going forward. Uh, when it comes to the set pieces, he is still a, a threat. And Atletico de Madrid has a massive unbalance um, if you compare the right and the left flanks, just because Kieran Tripper is very good. And because Renan Lodi or Saul or whoever plays on the, on the left is not that good, and Yannick Carrasco has been excellent on the left, but we all know that he prefers to attack than to defend. So, but the, the connection between uh, Kieran Trippier, Marcos Llorente, Correa, all that right flank has been really good and I think that Kieran Trippier deserves a lot of credit because he adapted to Atletico de Madrid. Not every, every defender that arrives at Atletico manages to do that and uh, I think that his contribution has been very important. But other players that I mentioned all together with Trippier, they have been because Correa, after the game um, against Valladolid, Simeone was saying that was basically admitting that they all love Correa because he's humble and he represents Atletico de Madrid values and he scored the equalizer, the, probably the most important goal against Valladolid and uh, that was a beautiful goal. He's uh, the kind of player in Spanish we call this type of players ratoneros, which means those ones who manage to get the best of short spaces and uh, Correa is one of them and for Atletico that is very important too. And then um, Marcos Llorente has been for me the breakthrough player of the, of the year and uh, he deserves a praise too, to, to the point that he's going to be, uh, and he is, in the Spanish squad for the Euro 2021. Right, okay. Uh, controversial Spanish squad for one or two reasons, yeah. which we'll touch on very shortly. What That word again was it? Ratoneros. Ratonero. It means like... Raton, raton is a mouse. A ratonero mm. is like, a, you know, someone who does these kind of small movements. Yeah, you can say something like that, yeah. A delantero, oh. a, a ratonero striker is someone who is a small... And who can actually make the best of uh, little scrambles or uh, melees and all that. And he always manages to put the foot there and score a goal. Like okay. Paco Alcázar. Mm, similar, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We can say that. But Correa is even more astute. I think that Correa fits better the ratonero definition. Okay. All right. Well, less happy with uh, the uh, afternoon's activities were, as you mentioned, Valladolid, who have gone down uh, with Huesca and Eibar who were beaten 1-0 by Barcelona. Cracking goal by Antoine Griezmann in that match. Barcelona and Real Madrid, the, the, the focus immediately shifts now, Alvaro, to what 
is next? What are they going to do? The questions over Zidane's future, potentially Hazard's future. And at Barcelona, is there now a plan in place for Messi, for the debts and for their manager? Because Ronald Koeman's been hinting at whether he's going to be sticking around or not. Yeah, let's go with Kuman first. Um, this is a manager that won the Spanish Cup. This is a manager that uh, arrived at Barcelona thinking that Suarez and Messi were part of his squad. This is a manager who arrived when Barcelona lost 8-2 against Bayern. And this is a manager that was signed by Bartomeu, but Bartomeu left at the beginning of the season. So basically he became the manager and the spokesman of Barcelona for a number of months. It's been a difficult season for Ronald Koeman. He won the Spanish Cup and Barcelona for a period of time in 2021 was the best team in La Liga in terms of not only of how, good they, how well they played, but also of uh, point collection. But that hasn't been enough. Barcelona hasn't won any of the important games with the exception of the second leg of the Spanish Cup semi-final against Sevilla. And that is under Kuman's belt as well. Um, there was a perception uh, at Barcelona that uh, Ronald Kuman um, deserved to stay after winning the Spanish Cup. But Joan Laporta, the president of Barcelona, uh, didn't rush anything. And that was very clever, I think, because he knew that uh, to make his decision about Kuman staying or not, he needed all the elements of just in there. So to wait until the season was over to make a decision. And he's going to make it now. Well, um, apparently Laporta is not a massive fan of Ronald Koeman or he would like to think of other managers. Xavi, um, the former player, is in Barcelona spending his holiday. He's one of the candidates to be Barcelona, uh, Barcelona's coach. But um, this is a decision that will be made very soon at the end of the season. Uh, the future of Messi seems to be closer to Barcelona than uh, it was seven or eight months ago. In fact, Pep Guardiola said uh, in an interview uh, this weekend that uh, Kun Agüero was leaving uh, to play for Barcelona. He pretty much said that, uh, to play with Messi. So Pep Guardiola has a little bit of information about that too. And it looks like Messi, uh, now he's closer to stay than he was, as I said, seven or eight months ago. So these are the questions that Barcelona has to solve. Many players uh, will come on the cheap or for zero cost, probably Agüero. Uh, Memphis Depay is another option, but Kuman once was the manager who wanted Memphis to, to get to Barcelona, Eric García, and uh, who knows if Jorginho Wagnaldum is also that player. Barcelona doesn't have money, needs to offload players, and if they sign anybody, it will be at zero cost. What do you think of the strategy of buying players or signing players like Aguero who have absolutely zero resale value just to have somebody on the pitch for next season? Don't they need to have a slightly different strategy if they want to change their financial situation? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. And I, I was a little bit baffled by the lack of imagination of the new sporting director, Matteo Alimain. I thought that he was going to bring new ideas and he was going to try to get players like, for example, Isaac from Real Sociedad, who is 20 years old and he has scored over 15 goals. Um, I thought that he could be able to, to, to sign a player like Gerard Moreno, maybe sending uh, to Villarreal some Barcelona players as well. Uh, I think that uh, signing El Kun Agüero uh, is something that uh, comes like a controversial decision considering that a year ago, literally a year ago, they offloaded Luis Suárez for economic reason, but also because he was a little bit too old. And they are basically bringing a player who is uh, only one year younger than Luis Suárez. And uh, we have seen this season that uh, he couldn't play many games for Manchester City. So if he cannot play many games for Manchester City, but Barcelona thinks that this is their striker, this tells you a little bit the shift in power in between uh, you know teams like Manchester City and teams like Barcelona. Barcelona basically now, they are happy to get players who can improve the quality of the squad. And the squad's quality has gone down so badly 
with uh, let's not forget that the only number nine at Barcelona's squad is Martin Braithwaite, that now they, they are ready to go for players like Agüero. It's their new reality. And uh, yeah, uh, if Barcelona wants to sign somebody this summer, uh, paying some money, cashing some money, splashing some money, they will probably have to offload one of the one of the big guns. Or find a private equity fund that's uh, willing to come in and take a chunk of them. Meanwhile, what about Real Madrid, though, Alvaro? Zidane's future, is that any clearer yet? Uh, well, Zidane has been asked um, infinite times about uh, his stay or not at Real Madrid, and he never said that he was going to stay. Uh, there has been no um, backing from the club in terms of uh, official statements saying that the club was backing Zidane, something that in the past Real Madrid has done. Uh, this obviously may mean something. At the same time, uh, Zidane was in danger of being sacked back in December if Real Madrid uh, was not going to qualify for the Champions League last 16 round and uh, he didn't like that because uh, Zidane thought that his team and himself needed uh, or deserved more credit so after that I think that Zidane just made sure that he grouped with his players they tried to get the best of the season a very difficult season for Real Madrid as well let's not forget that they have over 60 injuries which obviously brings the, the light into their medical structure. Something has gone down very badly over there. And uh, it's been a difficult season because Real Madrid uh, had uh, many players with COVID, uh, some veteran players that had to play a lot of minutes just because uh, the squad wasn't big enough. But yeah, I think that Zidane has a little bit of responsibility to uh, not uh, making the best of Odegaard or Ceballos. We spoke about that in the past, Brahim Díaz. Um, so yeah, um, he has never said that he's going to stay at Real Madrid. He looks like uh, Zinedine Zidane uh, may leave this summer. And uh, there are some rumors that uh, a few Real Madrid players have said, uh, you know, off the record, that Zidane has admitted in the locker room that he's not staying at Real Madrid one more season, which brings the question, who is going to be the next Real Madrid manager? Well, there is a man over there, Raúl, um, in the Real Madrid Castilla, who is doing a brilliant job. Maybe it's too early for him. I don't know about that. And uh, otherwise, they will have to go to uh, for a manager who is available. And the, the one that always comes to everyone's mind is uh, uh, Allegri. Uh, but mm. I don't know if Allegri will uh, tick off the, all the boxes as a Real Madrid manager. One to keep an eye on. So, Atletico Madrid take the title. Real Barcelona and Sevilla, who had a record points tally for the season, going to the Champions League. Real Sociedad and Real Betis going to the Europa League. It's Villarreal in the Conference League, unless they beat Man United. Alvaro, you did a big preview of this for us in Monday's show. Are they going to beat Man United? See si or no? I think that. Uh, I think that no. I think that Villarreal is not a better team than Manchester United. Manchester United is much more dangerous, and that counts in a final. But I saw them play against Real Madrid the other day. I saw Villarreal play at the Emirates. They weren't better than Real Madrid or better than Arsenal, but they know how to slow down the games mm. to some uh, narcotic levels, I would say. And that is not good for Manchester United, because Manchester United is better when they can run, especially against a team like Villarreal. Um, I think that it's going to be an interesting game. I believe that in these games, normally the quality of the players and the firepower up front makes a difference. I will say that Manchester United is the favorite. And by the way, if Villarreal wins the Europa League, that means that they will play the Champions League next season. But not only that, it will mean that Spain will have no representative in the Conference League next season. So what you're saying, Alvaro, it's basically it's Valium Real against Meth United. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, exactly. Right. 
Look forward to all of that on Wednesday night then. Uh, Ralvaro, let's finish off this bit though with the Spain squad. Lots of questions here. The first time that Spain have ever named a squad without a Real Madrid player in it, which is pretty extraordinary. John Sands also asking, I'd be fascinated to know what Alvaro thinks of Luis Enrique's squad. Why only 24 players? The four centre-backs only have a handful of caps between them. Also, isn't Emmerich Laporte French? <laughs> he's French. He was born in France, yeah, but he got the express passport a couple of weeks ago, so he's got the Spanish nationality. Since he never played for France, uh, he will play for the for Spain in the in the Euro. And uh, I think that one of the main collateral effects from that is that if Aymeric Laporte is available for Spain, maybe Sergio Ramos is not as indispensable for Luis Enrique. Especially this Sergio Ramos, because let's not forget that this is a player that hasn't played football since uh, April, and uh, he has uh, played very few games in 2021. Uh, Luis Enrique uh, gave um, a private call to Sergio Ramos on Sunday, apparently to tell him that he was not going to be capped for the, he was not going to be included in the squad for Euro 2021, and. Uh, we cannot overlook that uh, the mismanagement of Ramos' uh, recovery uh, has been the key, the key element here. I mean, uh, in March he was uh, called by a Spanish national team. He played the first half of one of the games, then he picked an injury, then he played a few more minutes, uh, he got his injury worse. Probably he should have stayed uh, with the Real Madrid doctors uh, during the last international break. And yeah, uh, he's not playing for Spain. Uh, answering to the other question, Spain has never... Um, play the big tournament without any player from Real Madrid, but mm. in the Spanish squad uh, there are uh, three or four players that come from Real Madrid Academy. Let's not forget that too. I think Real Madrid uh, should have in their squad Marcos Llorente if Zinedine Zidane uh, had wanted to keep him. So I think that Spain doesn't have any big star this time. Um, the likes of um, Adama Traoré or Pedri uh, are players that a year ago you would have not think that uh, they were going to be playing for Spain, but they are. And uh, yeah, this is going to be tricky because this time uh, you can really tell that Spain doesn't have uh, such a, a strong squad as uh, England or uh, definitely Portugal. Uh, but at the same time, they've got a very good manager who knows what uh, winning a Champions League is. So if uh, there is anybody to trust here, I think it's Luis Enrique because he has proven in the past that he knows how to win titles. Okay, well, that's comforting. Uh, we're going to get a big preview of Spain soon enough when our pre-Euro 2020 shows roll around. Next up, though, let's check in on the dramatic final day of action in Ligue 1. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League 2 after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. C'est fini! Le LASC est champion de France! Pour la quatrième fois de son histoire! Le LASC écrit une nouvelle page de son histoire! Jules unable to be with us on today's show as he is in Manchester, but he insisted that he come on the phone anyway. 
to talk about Lille's title win. Jules, they did it. They did it, Jimbo, and they deserve it to be fair as well. They've been a better side by far all season. They've lost only three games, for example, if you compare it to the, the eight defeat that PSG have had in this campaign. They've been consistent. They've been really good when they had to be and, and really resilient. And we saw Brakil Maz a few times sort of bailing them out. But overall, you can't argue at all with the fact that they were the better team, that Christophe Galtier was the better manager all season, that they had the best defence and that they had key players that came big when, when needed. Burak Ilmaz, of course, Mike Maignan in goal, the defence as well, Benjamin André, the captain in midfield, all of them. They, they fully deserve that title, the first one in 10 years for Lille mm-hmm. and only the fourth in their history. Absolutely. Pikios, what is a bigger shock, Lille this season or Montpellier in 2012? In my opinion, Lille is a much better side than Montpellier, but beating PSG with Mbappé and Neymar, arguably top five players worldwide, maybe it's more, don't you think? Yeah, that's a really good debate. I mean, the difference between the Montpellier of 2012 and this Lille team is Lille finished fourth last season. They finished second the year before. Last season, had the season not been stopped in March, they probably would have finished second or third. Whereas the Montpellier team came out of nowhere, not nowhere really, but they were 12 the season before they won the title. So it was very much more of a Leicester than what Lille have done because Lille have been in the top four best French teams in the last three seasons. So it's probably less a surprise than what Montpellier was, which was really a miracle and really like, wow, they've come out of nowhere. We saw this coming with Lille, although we didn't think at the start of the season that they could, they could win this the way they did. But certainly they... they they had made a lot of ground before. They had a really competitive team, even if they if they have to sell their best player every year. So no Gabriel, no Pepe, no Ozyman, no. Uh, you know, there's a few. There's a few more as well. But but at least they were they were in the top four for the last three seasons, which was not the case of Montpellier. Okay, well, they finish off with a 2-1 a victory over Angers. Slightly nervous at the end. Uh, PSG, meanwhile, winning 2-0 away at Brest, but it didn't make any difference. So after winning the last three, seven of the last eight Ligue 1 titles, uh, they finally miss out. How are they going to respond, do you think, Jules? It's a good question. I think we've said before on the show that Pochettino was almost distancing himself from this season, saying, you know, you can't judge me on six months. I, I arrived, we were one point behind the leaders, and we finished the season one point behind the leaders. But I have got an issue a bit with him sort of washing his hands already about this season. Oh, you know, this is, almost this is not my team, this is not my fault, I did nothing wrong, blah, 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 where, you know, he could, he could have won more games and he could have lost less as well, and he could have won the title. It was not a given that he would always finish second. But it's true that they will judge him next year on a full season with a full pre-season with a proper recruitment. And I think that's what they have to do. They, they have a lot of work to do with these squads, letting some players go, I think investing, strengthening some, some key positions because overall this was not just good enough to be able to go find the Champions League and still be able to, to do well and better in the league. Okay. Got some questions coming in for you here. That red-haired dude asks, why does Lille's title-winning manager Christophe Galtier seem poised to head to Nice, who finished ninth? You wouldn't see Conte heading to Sampdoria or Simeone to Granada. Is it a money thing or something else? It is a bit of a money thing to start with because they're offering him twice the, the salary that he's, you know, he's on now at Lille. So he's around, let's say, almost €200,000 a month. He will go up to 400000 which is a lot of money. Um, also because he's from the south, let's not forget. So he's getting close to home if he move, moves back in, in the area and, and in Nice. So 
there's a lot of things and also they've got a lot of money they've got a great project they've got a team in a way and a squad quite similar to the lead one with a blend of experience and youth some really talented youngsters and I think he, he can he can do a lot of good things there too without maybe having that burden of knowing that he will have to sell his best player every summer which is the case of Lille because Lille are in a, in a really bad financial situation compared to Nice when he, Nice are right now so I can see why it's surprising it's surprising for people especially when you we also have Lyon following you you have also a few English clubs who kind of showing interest uh, and clubs from from all over Europe as well because he is a very very good manager and everybody knows it okay speaking of Nice meanwhile Cass online asks how did William Saliba get on with his loan spell there and do you think he's ready to be an Arsenal starter next season Jules He's done great, James. He's done great. He scored yesterday in the win against Lyon, uh, the third goal, the winning goal. He was really good in in, in defence with with uh, Jean-Claude Todibo, the former Toulouse and Barcelona and all sorts of other clubs. But Saliba clearly showed that you know he was back at his best level, which was maybe an issue when he came to Arsenal after the injury that he had and the fact that Ligue 1 stopped in March last season. But now he's fully fit. He's got all the rhythm. He's played a lot of games between January and now. And I think I think almost Arsenal sort of have to give him a chance, and and you know he has to go back and train and maybe do the preseason with them, and then if Arteta is still not convinced, then maybe you see. But certainly from what I've seen from him in Ligue 1, pretty much picking up where he left it before the move to Arsenal, I think he deserves a chance there for sure. Okay, Jules, a quick word on Leon then missing out because it was there for them, no, the Champions League if they didn't blow it at home to Nice this weekend. Completely, with Monaco dropping points against Lens, if if Lyon, uh, Lyon won, they would have gone third and qualified for the Champions League. So only for the the the, the third round qualifier, the playoff, unless City uh, wins it, and in that case, the third team in France will go straight into the group stages. So it was in, in their own hands, and and they blew it. They blew it because I think Rudy Garcia has done a terrible job there, considering they had n- no European games at all this season. So only the league to focus on. They still could not finish top three. Monaco, who have been fantastic but looked tired in these last few weeks, were there for the taking. And Lyon blew it. They blew it with, despite Memphis Depay being in great form, a season with 20 goals and 12 assists for him, which is his best season ever. Now he will live on a free. And financially, especially the impact that he will have on, on the club is incredible. So not good on Lyon, not good on Garcia, not good on Juninho as well. The two seasons that he's been at the club as a sporting director, they finished seventh and fourth. And, and it's just not a good look at all for what is one of the, or should be one of the strongest team in France. Nice that we could find something for you to smile about, even in this week of disappointment for Paris Saint-Germain, Lyon and Marseille in the Europa League. All right, well, to conclude then, Jules, last week's shock news that Karim Benzema will be in France's squad for the Euros this summer, more than five years after his last cap. The reasons for his absence uh, escape me for the moment, but why now? Why bring him back now? It's just the most incredible story, one of the biggest stories in French football for the last maybe 10 years, or certainly since Zinedine Zidane himself came back to the national team in 2005 with Michael and Vieira. Why now? I think Deschamps realised that he, he, if, if you have that kind of talent at your disposal, why, why not using it? They saw each other, they spoke to each other, they forgave each other, apologised to each other after what happened with the Mathieu Valbuena sex tape incident. They... The interview that Karim did saying that Deschamps basically responded to the racist part of France, you know, all that kind of stuff. And that seems to have forgotten. They, they decided to move on. He will go to the Euros. Since since it was announced that um, he was back on Tuesday night of last week, the amount of shirt sales 
So the, the, the shirt, the national team shirt sold by the French Federation has gone through the roof, like plus 250% or something like that, ridiculous. You can't buy the Benzema shirt anymore. There's no, they don't have the numbers, they don't have the letters for his name at the back. It's been incredible, the reaction in France, showing that despite everything that happened, there was still a lot of love for Karim Benzema in France, even if maybe he thought that wasn't the case because he was always, as you know, part of controversies. He doesn't sing the anthem enough. There's that story with the underage prostitute with Ribéry back then, then the match in Valbuena, except so all those stories. And yet, clearly, he's very much, but still very much loved. And people were so happy and so excited that he's back. And especially Antoine Griezmann and Kylian Mbappé, who both reacted on social media in a, in a huge way. So right. I think it was the right thing to do. I think you have to applaud, in a way, the fact that each other, both Benzema and Deschamps, sort of forgave each other kind of thing, uh, and, and to be able to move on. And if you add Karim Benzema and his talent to a World Cup winning team, I think that makes that team even stronger. Well, that's the plan. But what does Deschamps have to apologise about? He wasn't part of that sex tape, was he? No, he wasn't part of at least not, not, not that I'm aware of. Maybe he was filming. In the sense that the way he dropped in and maybe some of the things that have been said back then, so we're talking back in 2015, it's a long mm. time ago, and maybe the fact that there was no proper explanation from, from Deschamps towards Benzema on the reasons why, or maybe that the door was still open, that, that kind of dialogue never happened. And I think Benzema got hurt by the, by the, the silence, really, from Deschamps, which he could have handled it maybe a bit differently, although what happened to him and his family, Deschamps' family, after ben, Benzema made those comments, you know, the, the house was tied with the word racist. And so there was a lot of things that were really toxic. And, and, and I think that's also why it became such a taboo for so long. It could have been resolved before, but it took them five years. Better late than never, I guess, but mm. it's still a fascinating story. Better late than ever as well for the court case regarding the uh, Valbuena sex tape blackmail accusations, which is going to be happening finally. It's going to court this October. Yeah, at the end of October, and Karim, if, if proven guilty, he's been charged, he said he's innocent. But if proven guilty, there's a risk of five years in jail and, and a 75,000 euros fine, which means that I don't think he will get to that, but he can win the euros in July and go to jail in October. Uh, Harry, is there any truth in the rumours that you're off to Spain in the summer? Uh, 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 sorry, me, uh, me no hablo inglés. Uh, what about one of the Manchester clubs? Oh, uh, well, you know, it's... Uh... Well, Harry, what about my source who says you're keen to stay at Spurs? <laughs> uh, can we keep the questions sensible, please? Kane's future at Spurs remains uncertain, but you're guaranteed to get money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold acre lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, mid odds 1 to 5 on each leg. Online exclusive exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. Teas and C's apply. 18 plus begumbleaware.org. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker, and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is The Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Sonny, Sonny, Kikiewicz, yes, Lewandowski, nein, er macht's, er macht's, in der 90. Minute. All right, how about some last day drama from the Bundesliga? Really only one thing to be decided here, Bayern, well, two things actually, but Bayern were facing Augsburg, they were 4-0 up by half-time, brilliant goal from distance by Joshua Kimmich, 
Everything was going to plan, except Rafa. Lewandowski hadn't scored yet and the 90 minutes were almost up. Wow. Well, he's being, he was being uh, thwarted by his Polish compatriot in goal, Rafa Gikiewicz, who, who was inspired, who seemed to be on a one-man mission to uphold Gerd Müller's record. But then with the very last kick of the game, um, from a bit of spillage uh, from a Leroy Sané shot, Lewandowski managed to get the magical 41. What a moment, because he takes it round the keeper and the, the goal is there yawning in front of him. Wow, the pressure he must have been feeling there. I think he didn't feel that much pressure, James. Not. I mean, it was a Open very goal. routine finish for, yeah. uh, you know, for a player of his <laughs> Okay, then. But the moment, you know, final <laughs> kick of the season, effectively, to, to, to break a record that's been standing for 49 years. Also, Lewandowski has been a lot of debate. I'm sure there's been a huge amount in Germany about whether Lewandowski's record is as good as Gerd record, the defenders were tougher back then, etc., he didn't maybe have I do, the, the, the comparison between the, the value of the players around him. But Lewandowski actually getting his 41 in far fewer games than uh, Gerd Müller took for his. Yeah, which is remarkable because Müller played in all those games uh, throughout the season. And Lewandowski, who never misses many games, actually missed five, uh, yet still managed to break the record. So, which makes you think, um, I think he averaged 1.4 goals a game. So... If he manages to stay fit for 34 games next year under Julian Nagelsmann, maybe a better Bayern because Bayern weren't all that convincing, that would uh, get him, I think, 47 goals. It's going to happen. Who knows? 53 and 46 games for club and country this season. First player ever to be top scorer in the Bundesliga for four successive seasons. What do you call that again? Tor, Canon, Meister? Uh, Torschützenkönig. But they isn't there a canonic one that they because they give him a cannon, don't yeah, they? Yeah, that's the trophy, but not yeah. the, uh, the. What's title? the trophy? There was a great tweet. The tweet about uh, so, he scored yeah. so many goals they gave him Arsenal. It's <laughs> brilliant. Wow. That's good. Mm. That's good. <laughs> anyway, so um, next season, of course, he might be looking over his shoulder at Erling Haaland, who, who who grabbed a whopping twenty-seven in the Bundesliga this time round. Two on the final day in Borussia Dortmund's victory. Opa Bayer Leverkusen, he grabbed two goals. He also swapped shirts with the referee, which is uh, a touching scene, Rafa. Which is nice, yeah. Um, happens sometimes. Was it Manuel Grefe he, he uh, swapped with? Grefe he, was, was, he was retiring after yeah, many, yeah, many years. Yeah, it was yes. Manuel Grefe, who is, just, is an iconic referee in German football because he's so cool. Um, always nice to the players, always very relaxed. One of the more lenient referees as well because German referees can be very officious um, or overzealous um, but as a result he's very very much liked and he'll be sadly missed Danny Daly's got a question he says if you were inv- advising Terzic uh, should he stay and work under Marco Rosa at Dortmund or take his enhanced reputation and grab the reins elsewhere Terzic of course who's been in charge of Dortmund since uh, Lucien Favre moved on it depends I think a little bit on the job offer I think for, for somebody like Terzic, who's so closely connected to Borussia, he's a real fan himself, to then go and coach at, I don't know, Frankfurt or Wolfsburg. I mean, it's exciting. It's interesting to be you know, named head coach rather than interim caretaker. But at the same time, I think his reputation is, has been enhanced so much that he can easily work under Marco Rosa and then get a 
big job somewhere else. So I don't think he necessarily has to make that move right now. He's only 38. Hmm. Um, that's old for but, Bundesliga, though. Yeah, that's true. No, but, it, you know, he's he's done so well. It's, it's not just the results. It's not just getting Dortmund into the top four and winning the cup. It's also, I think, the way he's come across. He's such a great talker, uh, such a genuine guy. Um, so intelligent, so interesting in what he says. And I think that's when people sort of think, oh, you know, we've, we've got a real talent on our hands here. And there was even interest from the Premier League um, for his services. So I I think he's got a great career ahead of himself and he doesn't necessarily now have to make the big move already. Where in the Premier League, Rafa? Um, there was some contact from a North London-based team. Ooh. But not the one who share a similar trophy or not, not the one who right who share a Robert Lewandowski was given is Robin, yeah yeah Lewandowski's okay. trophy right nicely done okay now elsewhere on the final day Werder Bremen were relegated after a 4-2 defeat at home to Borussia Mönchengladbach a 10 game winless run from Bremen to finish off this season was this always on the cards maybe even going back a year or two Rafa well, a year ago they had the relegation playoff, which they narrowly survived. So it's been it's been a problem. They stuck with Corfeld, thinking, "Oh, this year is going to be much improved," and they started reasonably well, and they looked safe ten ten games ago. They had thirty points already, which sometimes in itself can be enough. But you'd think, okay, they'll pick up maybe three or four more, and that's it. But of course, they only picked up one hmm. um, over the last ten, and they sort of sleepwalked uh, slow motion into into the relegation. And I think it's a big problem because Werder don't have a lot of money. Uh, coronavirus has exacerbated that problem. They've made a lot of bad decisions when it comes to signing players. And they only have to look at their northern neighbours and rivals Hamburg to see how difficult it is to come back up again. So they'll meet each other for the big derby next year in Bundesliga 2. And you have to fear for Werder a little bit. They could be one of those clubs who... You know, we're not long ago we're German champions, we're contesting the Champions League quite regularly. Um, and like Schalke, who of course go down with them, have to undergo a complete rebuild. It's not going to be easy for them. Right. You've got Bochum coming up. Who else is coming up? Uh, Bochum and Greuther Fürth. Ah. Yeah, Greuther Fürth, who are the, the favourite team of Henry Kissinger. Is that right? What does that yeah, mean, Grutterfurt? Does that have a meaning? It's um, it's actually the amalgamation mm-hmm. of two clubs. Greuter. One was Fürth and one was Festenberg's Greut. So together they became Greuter Fürth. Fürth is the club that um, Henry Kissinger supported as a boy because it's his hometown. Okay, look forward to hearing much more about them when the new season rolls around. But let's just finish off by saying well done to Union Berlin. Oh, sorry, Union Berlin. Because you're in Europe, Rafa. It's an amazing story, James. Staying up for them last year was already a minor miracle. To actually finish seventh and in the Europa Conference League is is amazing. They have one problem, though. The stadium is not really suited to European football where you can't have any terraces and stuff. So they might be forced to go into the Olympic Stadium. They might have to put in seats. Who knows? But they celebrated with all the fans and the parking lot after the game. It was Really beautiful to see. Not sure about the coronavirus regulations, but it was just a genuine moment of real football joy. And we haven't seen that many of them. So another another nice story from the Bundesliga. Brilliant stuff. All right, Rafa, that's it from the Bundesliga for this season. Next up, the wonderful world of Syria.
Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Italy, James, where the big focus was the three-way battle for the two Champions League spots behind Inter and Atalanta. And would Juventus miss out? There were some tense moments for them on the final day, but no, no, they wouldn't miss out. No, they didn't indeed, James. I mean, they took care of business quite easily uh, in Bologna. They were 1-0 up after six minutes, 3-0 up at half time. I mean, we haven't really seen that all that often from Juventus so far this season. Big decision before the game as well. It's surprising to see Andrea Pirlo effectively drop Cristiano Ronaldo, even though the official line was that he'd played five games in 15 days and he was tired and the Euros are coming up. It's like, well, hang on a minute. I mean, your future at Juventus is supposed to hinge on qualifying for the Champions League and this game, Champions League qualification rides on it to an extent. But certainly for, what, six minutes, uh, it looked like they were out of the Champions League because uh, Napoli took the lead against uh, Hellas Verona. They were playing at home, whereas Milan were playing away in Bergamo against Atalanta. Juventus were playing away in Bologna. Napoli had been in great form uh, over the last couple of months, begging the question, why are you not retaining Rino Cattuso? But I suppose for the second time in three years, we've seen on the final day Gattuso miss out on Champions League qualification by a single point because Davide Faraoni ended up scoring an equaliser, got Hellas Verona a point. Um, and yeah, Napoli now contemplating another year without Champions League football. Been a real fixture in this competition for much of the last decade whilst the Milan clubs uh, were in decline or in transition. And now both them and Roma the two teams that really kind of benefited from those guys going through the motions are, are on the outside looking in. You had suggested that you know, it wasn't impossible that Napoli might slip up against a Verona side with not a huge amount to play for. What, what do you think actually was wrong with them? Because it was a, a really disappointing performance from the Padna Pay. Yeah, I mean, they really weren't able to, to get anything going um, in attack. I mean, that was the big surprise because they have scored, I think, 104 goals. Um, so far this season, I think they've got six different players um, in double figures. Um, but Verona uh, have always been a very awkward opponent uh, for the top six sides. It's one of the reasons why Ivan Juric, their coach, and we'll get to him in a moment, I'm sure, um, has been linked with a lot of uh, top jobs uh, over the last two years. Because really that Verona side, if you look at the talent that they've got and the talent that they lost uh, this time last year shouldn't be a mid-table team uh, in Serie A. They shouldn't probably even be in Serie A. Um, and uh, nevertheless, though, I mean, 
they've been on a real slide since they've clinched uh, their uh, top flight status. And Urich, uh, <laughs> the coach, was asked, you know, you know, why did you show up today? You know, why did your teams kind of put in this great performance when you know we've we've, we've watched you over the last few few weeks and your team seems to have been on the beach? And he he kind of really launched into a tirade against the the reporter from Sky Italia, saying, Ah, here we go, bull right from the get go. <laughs> this is a lack of respect. I'm not talking to you. He should have brought uh, his daughter along. <laughs> So uh, that was a uh, slightly uh, combustible end, I mm. suppose, to the Serie A season, followed swiftly by a tweet from Napoli's president who kind of revealed the uh, worst-kept secret in Italian football the last six months, which is that Gattuso will be moving on, um, as will a hell of a lot of coaches. I think only maybe two or three coaches are sure of their positions next year. Stefano Pioli at Milan, mm. Gasparini at Atalanta. Um, and that's it. It'll be all change uh, unless... Uh, Pirlo, who very much thinks he'll be on the Juventus bench uh, next year, is in fact on the bench. Right. Well, you know, stranger things have happened because, as you say, they look terrific here. He drops Ronaldo, begun to get a settled side finally. And and, and since that Milan loss, which we kind of thought was final nail in in his coffin, they've won four straight, scoring bags of goals, not conceding many. Of course, just last week, they won the Coppa Italia as well against highly touted Atalanta. Yeah, with a great second half performance as well. What's the um, difference? Were... What's been the change then for him? Well, it, it's it's quite curious, really, with uh, with Juventus because after getting a slap in the face, as they as they say in Italy, Juventus tend to go on very good runs. I mean, we saw that after the defeats of Fiorentina at the end of twenty twenty three nil. They then went on a really good run for the first couple of months of 2021, um, although that was kind of punctuated by demoralising defeats. Um, first to Inter in the Derby d'Italia, which really signalled that the title race was over. And then, of course, the games against Porto and Benevento. Um, but, I mean, Kulusevski coming into the side in, in the last few weeks and, and, and playing instead of Morata has helped. Um, although Morata was 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 in form on, on Sunday night, um, I think... Finding a, a better role for Kulusevski has helped. And, and we saw the best of Dybala, I think, on Sunday night mm. as well. And Dybala has been all too absent um, this season because of illness, because of injury, because, you know, when he did get fit, Cristiano was playing pretty well with, with Morata. Um, but I think you saw perhaps the future of Juventus on, on Sunday night, which is that this team uh, does have some youth about it, some freshness. It does have the energy um, to press and kind of play the style of football that Pirlo wants. Um, can you do that with Cristiano in the team all the time? Um, I think that's that's probably going to be a question that is is asked over the next few weeks, even though we saw that Instagram post that uh, Ronaldo made shortly after Juventus clinched Champions League qualification of him shushing uh, his, his critics and, and saying he was proud of the team. Did we ever find out where his cars were going to? Well, there's been a lot of speculation about that over the last week, whether he was just sending them all uh, to be serviced in Germany. Uh, whether he was relocating them uh, either to Madrid or, or Lisbon because he's going to sp- uh, spend some of his holidays after the Euros there, or whether the footage itself was in fact a year old. Oh. That's that's uh, that's another one of the, the stories going around. So, But we'll have to see. I mean, I think that's going to be one of the big decisions over the, the next week at, uh, at Juventus. I think on the, the 28th of May, there'll be a shareholders assembly at Exor, which is the the Agnelli family holding company, which has a majority stake in, in Juventus as to, as to 
whether they continue with Andrea Agnelli. Uh, remember, they're still in the Super League along with Barcelona and hmm. uh, Real Madrid. Um, so whether we'll have to see what UEFA's what action UEFA takes because they've been referred to the disciplinary commission. And of course, you know we've still got to see whether Fabio Paratici, the sporting director, extends his contract. Whether Pirlo stays. From what I can gather, as of Sunday night, Pirlo's staff had not been told um, that they uh, were on their way out. So we'll have to see. I think it's going to be a, a week of big decisions, not just at Juventus but up and down the league. Uh, only one one question, James. I mean, uh, if Real Madrid and Barcelona finish fourth in uh, La Liga, uh, substantial decisions are made in summer. Well, if Cristiano Ronaldo is not part of that uh, big decisions, uh, who is the most likely candidate to leave Juventus or to be the scapegoat, the player that you can offload and uh, get some money to sign somebody else? Well, I think Paolo Dybala's contracts are up at the end of next season. Dybala would presumably have a very good market uh, out there, as they say in Italy, a lot of interest. Um, and they would be able to make quite a lot of money selling him, I think, because I think he would have interest from either a top Spanish club or a top top English club. Um, but uh, we'll have to see. Um, certainly Dybala has, has wanted a new contract for the last for the last year. I mean, this goes back to last summer. I mean, pretty soon after the start of the season, he really kind of came out with a, not come and get me plea, but like, please call my agent. Uh, so we can actually, we can actually have talks. And, and Yeli said they've, they've made him uh, an offer, which would make him, I think one of the 10 highest paid players or top 15 highest paid players in Europe. Um, so what's happened there? We'll, we'll, we'll have to see, but I think in terms of if, if they needed to sell someone to make a lot of money, um, then uh, Dybala might be uh, might be one of the candidates. Okay. Good news is that for next season, Juve have at least got proper stripes back. Uh, they debuted their new home jersey uh, on the weekend, and it's got proper, not kind of badly photographed. Maybe that's the secret, James. Maybe they so. wore it in the Coppa Italia. Ah. Maybe this is the secret. Yeah. There so, you go. So yeah, that- they've got their stripes back, back to their tradition. Nice. And Inter finishing in style, a 5-1 victory for them against Udinese. And also, they've got some money from American investment fund Oak Tree, who part own Caen, and one of their owners, Oak Tree, is Stephen Kaplan, who has Swansea, which is interesting. Uh, is Conte going to stay? That's the big question, James. Well, it was interesting listening to his assistant, uh, Stellini, on, on Sunday because he said, look, top coaches demand top projects. And, uh, you know, if we end up selling one of our best players or two of our best players uh, in, in the off-season, then that will change things for us. It will make us re- reconsider um, our position. I think that's not only true of Conte, but it's true of the chief executive slash sporting director, Beppe Marotta, as well, whose contract is up at the same time as Conte's, which is the end of next season. And I think this financing that has come in, it just stabilizes things at Inter. Um, yeah, it, it's it's not there to uh, replenish the coffers and give them a transfer kitty. I, I think they will still have to sell um, a star player. Um, you know, maybe not a Lukaku, um, but you know, maybe one of those players who's in that twenty-one, twenty-six bracket um, who will have interest from Spain or the Premier League. Um, you know, a lot of people talk about Lautaro Martinez. I would uh, mention Hakimi. Um, as, as, as one of those as well, even though Hakimi pointed to the badge um, at the weekend and suggested he wanted to stay, um, but it might not be in his hands. So mm. um, we'll, we'll have to see. And I, I, I do think, you know, Conte wants to build on what they've they've already got at event at uh, Juventus at, me, at Inter. Um, so 
uh, I think it'll be a, it's going to be a, again a very interesting week um, to kind of establish if 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 uh, Zhang can give him the kind of uh, reassurances he needs to to continue because I think on on the grounds they would they would like to carry on. Um, it's just whether they they feel that they uh, interzoners can match their ambition. Mm, all right. Last thing uh, for now is the promotion race, which saw Silvio Berlusconi's Monza missing out in the playoffs, uh, beaten by Cittadella, who will now be taking on Venezia in the playoff final for a place in Syria, with the second leg coming up on Thursday. Venezia 1-0 up from the, the first leg. It'd be amazing to see uh, Venezia back. I mean, it'd be pretty incredible to see Cittadella in Syria, but... Uh, you know, for anyone who's ever hung around the old Penzo, it'd be pretty amazing to see that ground back on the Syria itinerary. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, Cittadella have been one of the kind of revelations, I'd say, of, of Serie B, not just this year, but for the last five years. They're almost always in the playoffs. They've got no budget. They've got a really interesting Italian-Australian coach. They do a lot of their recruitment in the third, fourth divisions, and they make these players look really good. And then you've got uh, Venezia, who, again, they've got uh, coach called Paolo Zanetti, who, regardless of whether he gets Venezia up or not, will be working in Serie A next season, mm. either with Udinese or Sampdoria. Um, yeah, he's been uh, he's been the talk of, of the second division. So, yeah, it looks like there'll be, what, Empoli, uh, one of these uh, Veneto sides. Um, and uh, Salinitana, who I think we did, we told this story, didn't we, a few weeks ago that they... They have 30 days to find a new owner because mm. Claudio Lotito, who is the president of Lazio, is also, well, he's not the president of Salernitana, but he does own Salernitana. or something, isn't it? It's his in-laws, kind of coincidentally. Yeah. They're, yeah, that's them, not, you know. Uh, anyway, <laughs> superb. All right, well, as ever, it's going to be a busy summer around the various European leagues. Of course, slap bang in the middle of it is the European Championships, which are coming up in not long now. We'll be... Chatting with Alvaro and James and Rafa and Jules over the course of that tournament. So, listen, I do hope you're going to make totally your daily destination for all your hot Euro news. That wraps it up, though, for today's Euro edition. So, many, many thanks to the absent Jules and Rafa and Alvaro and James and producer Charlie and you, listener. We made it. We made it. Have a great time till we catch up with you next. For now, though, from all of us here... It's a Rivadurchi. You've been listening to the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of the Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify, and all the usual places, or listen ad free on the Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power. The Athletic.